Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. What was the middle name? Florence? Uh, Florence Marie? Is that right? Yes. Is that right? Uh, congratulations. What, what day was she born, Franklin? Monday. So um, here it is Sunday, and I'm going to preach about leadership today, and I just can't let the moment pass to point out something, and that a lot of people, whenever they have a baby, they fall off the face of the earth for months. <laughs> you know how it is. It's like we're tired, we're changing diapers, we don't, we're not getting sleep, and so people just disappear. Franklin is here leading his family, even though his wife obviously is home uh, taking care of their child. Franklin is here with his children. That's leadership. Uh, so I could, yeah, yeah, praise God. Sorry, Franklin, for embarrassing you. Uh, I don't know if I didn't coordinate this with Franklin. <laughs> but uh, I could sit down now because that is the point I want to make. This is leadership, leading by example, leading in a particular way. And so whenever I get to that part of the sermon when I'm talking about leading your home, um, then insert this little illustration. Okay, so my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Christ the King Church. I'm glad that you're here worshiping with us today. And if I haven't met you yet, I'll be in the cafe uh, usually. I'll try to make my way back there, and hopefully I'll have a chance to meet you afterwards. So please say hello. Um, we're doing a series in the Gospel of Luke, and we're close to the end of the book, and we'll finish it up this summer. We're in Luke chapter 22 right now, which is uh, in the Holy Week. And last week, we did the Passover meal and how the Passover prefigures the, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. Um, and so right after the Passover meal, in fact, in the context of this Passover meal, as Luke records it, some of the disciples think this would be a great time to start arguing with each other about which of them was the greatest. Uh, so on the eve of Jesus's crucifixion, you could say the disciples were great at being tone deaf. They didn't know what time it was. Their Lord was about to go to the cross, and here they're talking about who among them is the greatest of all the disciples. That's a it's a pretty dumb argument, but Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them about the nature of true leadership and the nature of true greatness. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus teaches a paradox, and we'll explore this paradox today. And the paradox is this, that the greatest will become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. That's the paradox. And so we'll explore this principle of servant leadership that is become so common, it's even standard in some parts of the business world. So we'll talk about that this morning. Let's dig in, grab your Bible if you have one. If you don't, there's one in the seat back in front of you, or you can tap it on your app. But uh, Luke 22, that's where we are, Luke 22. And uh, we're just going to walk through about six verses today. Luke 22, and we're starting in verse 24. Let's listen to God's word. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Which of them was to be regarded as the greatest? We'll pause here. Jesus had just finished talking about the, the worst possible disciple in the section just before this. 
where he was talking about Judas Iscariot, who would be a traitor. He would be the least, the worst, the, the scum of the earth. He was the guy that betrayed the Lord. And so ironically, uh, right in this context, the disciples think, well, we know which one the bad one is. We, of course, they didn't know which one, but they knew what Jesus said about the, which one was the worst. And so they're thinking, well, that's not going to be me. Which of us is going to be the greatest disciple? Which of us is going to sit at the right hand of Jesus? Which of us is going to rule with Jesus in the kingdom and be, you know, most prominent? And so uh, this has had to be the most dense, moronic thing that they could have said, but the disciples aren't always known for their tact or wisdom. Uh, That's why we love them. We love them because they're just like us. They do dumb things, just like we do dumb things. So in this setting, Jesus, having just finished the Passover meal and instituting the Lord's Supper, this conversation reveals something about the competitive nature of men, ambitious men. They want to win. They want to come out on top. And so it's a teaching opportunity that Jesus will make the most of to teach them about true leadership. Verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Jesus is going to draw a contrast between worldly leadership and godly leadership. And he starts here with worldly leadership. So he uses the word Gentiles as a, as a catch-all phrase for the world, people that aren't followers of God. They're Gentiles. And he's saying that worldly leadership is represented by the kings of the Gentiles. So he's talking about a political class of rulers, right? The, 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 the men who are kings over a jurisdiction. So they're politicians, people in government. And he's going to draw attention to their hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy, which is, the hypocrisy is one of Jesus' favorite preaching themes. He's going to say, what do they do versus what do they say? What do they do versus what do they say? So what do they do? Right here, they exercise lordship. That's what they do. But then, what do they say? Those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, that could be what other people call them or what they call themselves, but he's talking about the same group of people. You have kings of the Gentiles. They exercise lordship, but what people say about their exercise of lordship is they're benefactors. They're, they're uh, benevolent. They're doing so for our benefit. And of course, if you're a politician, that's what you say. It's like, I'm doing this for the little guy. The little people, you know, the common man. I'm for the everyday man. That's what they'll say. They're benefactors. They present themselves as though what they are doing in their exercise of lordship, presumably a heavy-handed kind of lordship, they say they're doing it for the little people, but that's not what's true. They're being hypocritical. Interestingly, this term benefactor, benefactor was common to refer to the gods, so in this pagan religion, the, the Roman pantheon of pagan gods, they would refer to the gods sometimes as their benefactors. So this is what worldly leaders do. They use their power and authority to serve their own interests. They, they're exercising lordship and they're serving their own interests, but they claim to be serving the interests of others. They claim to be a benefactor. They're claiming to do it for the sake of the little guy. 
We saw an example of this. We've, we see many examples of this. Um, I'll give you one, but there are many we could choose from. Uh, COVID was a great example of this. We had people in authority long after the initial phases when nobody really knew what was going on. But once it became clear, okay, we kind of have an idea what, what, what's going on here, but it didn't matter. By that point, people in authority were shutting down businesses, shutting down schools, shutting down churches. They were exercising lordship. They were, they were controlling people against their will who didn't want to be controlled in that way, but it didn't matter. They said, you're shutting down. But why did they do it? What did they say? They say, we're doing it for public health. We're doing it for safety. We're doing it for your benefit, you little people. We're, we're protecting you. And that's what they say. They say, you can, this is for safety. You can trust us. And if you don't trust us, trust the science. Well, as it turns out, the science was not as trustworthy as they thought, right? So the leaders, they're making decisions that affect everybody's lives. They're, they're doing things that change the way people live their life day to day. Some of the most consequential decisions that have been made in our government were made during this COVID period of time. And they do it under this pretense of being a benefactor, being a help. We're doing this for you. And over time, it became obvious that that's not actually what's happening here. Turns out that the science was not always accurate. In fact, the science was sometimes flat out wrong, but they wouldn't acknowledge it. Sometimes the rulers and the rules they made were illogical. Sometimes these rules were applied inconsistently. It seemed to favor some people, and it seemed to punish other people. So our society has, has developed this suspicion towards authority in general. And the, the suspicion towards authority is merited in a lot of cases. That doesn't give us the right as Christians to, to disobey God by rebelling against authority in an ungodly way. But we do, have, we do have good cause to be suspicious of the authority. And COVID pushed us to the breaking point. Here's another example. There's something that um, I've seen this in, in business and in churches where leadership positions become a form of currency. To where if you want to show value or affirm somebody, if you want to say these people are important to us, you demonstrate that by giving them leadership positions. Even if being in a leadership position is not the best fit for them. So it's like, well, we want to uh, show that we value diversity. So we're going we're to have a board, a governing board with leaders. And they say that these, these are the leaders that are in charge and they're going to do what's best for the company or the interests of the organization. But whenever they tout the diversity of that board, what they're doing is they're using those people and their ethnic origin as a way of saying, they're, they're, they're announcing something. They're, they're, they're communicating a set of values other than what's in the best interest of the organization. And so over the summer, the Southern Baptist Convention um, they, have their, they have their annual meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention. The big debate this past summer was about churches with women pastors. And the Bible's teaching on this is pretty straightforward. Um, there's, you know, people will argue about any particular verse or text of scripture, but if you just read the Bible in a straightforward way, you'll see pretty clearly that God calls biblically qualified men to be leaders in the church and leaders in the home. That much is, is uh, very clear and obvious from a plain reading of scripture. Nevertheless, um, 
the, as the debate went on, it became clear that the, the debate wasn't about what's best for the church, what's best for the churches, what is best about demonstrating the glory of God in the way that we govern our church. It, rather, it was about how do we uh, signal a message that we value women. And the, under, the assumption is that, well, the way we do that is we make sure that women occupy certain leadership positions. So they're saying we're doing it for one reason, but what they're actually doing it for is some other reason. And the reason they're doing it for is we want to, we want to show value to people, but they're doing it in a way that undermines the leadership of the organization itself. It's a common thing. This happens all the time. People would say they're doing one thing, just like the Gentile leaders would call themselves or somebody would call them benefactors. They say we're doing it for the little guy, for, for the sake of the people. We're doing this for your benefit. But really, Jesus is and he's saying that what they really do is they exercise lordship. They're doing something that is heavy-handed. They're doing something for some nefarious purpose in their leadership. And so at the Southern Baptist Convention, at least, um, the debate was with some who wanted to use the pastoral office to make a political statement. That's not what the church is for. That's not what elders are for. God does not appoint elders and the composition of the elders to make a political statement. The elders are the shepherds of the church. They're the ones that have been entrusted with the governing of the church and there are qualifications of that office that can be seen in scripture. And biblically qualified men is the, is the nature of that office, the, the qualification for the office. So what you see happening is leadership positions are given to unqualified people to please a constituency. That's worldly leadership. That's how the Gentiles might do it. They, they do so, they appoint leaders hypocritically. And so because what we see in our society is leadership is corrupted in such a way that people, as a result, have grown suspicious of authority. And we definitely live in an age, of, it's an anti-authority kind of age. And that is a unique thing about our age because it's not always been this way. There is a unique suspicion towards authority in our day that has not always been at the same level as it is now. But underneath that suspicion is within the heart of an individual person who is a sin, sinful man or woman. It's a desire for autonomy. It's a desire to be in control. We don't want somebody else to control our lives. And if we don't trust them to make decisions that control our lives, then there's gonna be a resistance to that authority. And so we don't want to yield control to leaders who are corrupt, who are incompetent, who are irresponsible. But we know that nobody is fully or truly autonomous. We can't be completely off the grid and have no interaction with other people. We're not autonomous in that way. So we need authorities and leaders to put things in place to benefit us and to benefit all of us. But we want to have it on our terms. Society can't function without leadership, so we need good leaders. Scripture assumes this, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not telling us how to get away from leadership because the leaders are abusive and corrupt and bad. He's telling us how, how can we have good leaders? What does good leadership look like? That is what Jesus is teaching his disciples here as we go in through the text a little further. So just, just to sum up, like we need good leaders who use authority in good ways to give order, to provide direction, to tell us here's where we're going, to, to get everybody aligned in a similar direction, 
to bring justice, to enforce a direction, to enforce justice in a society. Good leaders are needed to make decisions on behalf of others. They settle disputes. They make and enforce laws. We need leaders to do this. And if you don't have leaders that's, that's, uh, that's creating laws, that is, that is writing laws and enforcing laws, you have total chaos. You have anarchy. You have a situation where everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And you have 7 billion people on this planet operating as though they are God and there is nothing above them. That is not good. We need authorities that can lead and exercise authority in godly ways. So we need it. So the world is starved for good leaders, leaders that we can trust, leaders that will consider our interests and not just look out for their own interests. And this goes not just for leaders who are in public office. Public office is, you know, one manifestation of leadership, but it goes for leadership at every level of society, beginning with fathers and mothers in the home. Fathers and mothers that lead their children in the home, using their authority in the home in a godly way. That's, that's where leadership begins. We see this in the fifth commandment, um, honor your father and mother. That is the initial step, and that's, that's like a category. The fifth commandment is like a category of respect for all godly authority, or all those that God has placed in authority. So it, it would start in the home, but it would apply to a boss in the workplace. Some of you, you are supervisors. You lead others. You're in charge of other people. You're in charge of hiring or firing. Or some of you are team leaders. You are committee chairs. You're president of your homeowners association. You know, there's any number of ways. We, there are many different ways that we find ourselves leading. And no matter what sort of leadership that you're in, there is a need for that leadership to be carried out in a God-honoring way. You might be serving in kids' ministry. There are people right now that are watching kids in kids' ministry, and they have an authority in that, in that room, in that classroom, either teaching a class or watching kids. They have, a, they have the authority to say, don't go there, you know, stop hitting her, um, don't quit cutting her with a knife, whatever it is that kids might do to each other. They have the authority to say, stop that, don't do this, all right, it's time for this, hey kids, come over here, let's sing this song, hey kids, listen, no, no, quiet, quiet, let's do this. That's authority, that's leadership. And men and women, we find ourselves in different times and positions where we are called upon to lead and leadership is needed and leadership is good and leadership needs to be done in a God-honoring way to lead for his glory. So let me, read, let me uh, read to you from Romans 13 verse 1, probably the most famous verse in the Bible about uh, leadership. So there's a, a, there's a person under leadership and the person in leadership. So the first, the first part of this verse is, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So that's people that we look to as our leaders, we are called to be subject to them. And we're not gonna unpack all the various ways that that could look, but as a general principle, we are under authority. Everybody is under authority of some sort, ultimately under God's authority, but we're also under human authority by God's design, and that's a good thing. And then we have kind of the flip side of this. For there is no authority except from God. He is the ultimate authority. And those, meaning those authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. 
So those of us, when we're under authority, we have to respect the authority that we're under. And then those that are in authority have to know you're not the ultimate authority. God is your ultimate authority. And the authority that you have is an authority that was instituted. It was given to you, delegated to you by God. And you are accountable to God for that leadership. So if you're serving in kids' ministry, you're, you're in leadership. There is an authority there. And that's a God-instituted authority. And the way that you exercise that authority is something that you need to do in a godly way. The point I'm emphasizing here is that when we think of leadership, we don't merely think of villains in Washington, D.C. We think of you, we think of me, we think of our homes, our schools, our church, classrooms, all the various ways that we're in authority and we are under authority. And there's a way to do it because this this distribution of authority is good because that's the way God ordered the world. So God is the ultimate authority, but his structure is written into the created order. So the question, how do we lead then in a way that glorifies God? What is God-honoring leadership? What is a God-honoring way to exercise authority? And what Jesus gives us is this paradox that I mentioned. And the paradox is this. Leadership is a service, and leaders serve by leading. So leadership itself is a service, and the way that you serve is by leading. Let me show you this. Verse 26, but not so with you. So remember, he was comparing the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the kings of the Gentiles, they lead this way, but... But means it's a contrast. Not so with you. That's not how Christians lead. Rather, let the greatest among you, disciples argue about who's the greatest, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But, but I, whoops, draw my pencil here. But I, the ultimate authority, Jesus Christ, I am among you as the one who serves. So this idea, leadership is a service. Godly leadership looks to the interests of other people. They're serving them and they're looking out for them. They're looking out to their interests. There's a couple of statements that Jesus makes here. First, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. So here's the first one. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest. And then the second statement, and the leader as one who serves. Both statements indicate a posture of humility, an orientation of the heart that is humble. Because in in the kingdom of God, humility is greatness. That is greatness in the kingdom of God. Matthew's version of this same story in Matthew chapter 23, he says this more explicitly. So I'll show you Matthew's version. In Matthew's version, he says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. We've already seen that in Luke. But Matthew adds this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He doesn't say exaltation is bad. He doesn't say it's wrong to be exalted. It's the way that you go about the exaltation. It is, if you exalt yourself the way the Gentiles do, that's bad because that is not humble leadership. 
So the one who is humble, that's the one that is, is exalted in the kingdom. So to be great in God's kingdom is to be like a child. We saw this in the previous. Become as the youngest. You become like a child. To become great in the kingdom is to become like a child. To be great is like, to become like the one who serves. Now here's where the challenge comes in. The paradox part. Nobody looks to a child for leadership. If you do, um, you've got problems. <laughs> we don't look to children for leadership. And yet... Jesus is saying, let the leader become as a child, or let the greatest become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. Nobody looks to a child who has no authority. Children have no authority. They're children. It would be dumb for children to have authority. They're, they're ignorant. They're inexperienced. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have the maturity to handle responsibility. So would we look to children to be our leaders? And if not, then is Jesus telling us to lead as though we are children? What, and if so, what does he mean by that? That's, that's the paradox. That's the conundrum. So let's say, let's say this. Let's say a dad is in charge of dinner one night. So dad's the authority. He's in charge of dinner, and he says, kids, what do you want for dinner? And the youngest child says, cake and ice cream. I can imagine a young child saying that. Well, he just read Luke 22. And he says, let the greatest become as the youngest. And the leader is one who serves. And he says, I'm going to serve my child, serve my family by leading them to eat cake and ice cream for dinner. Now, he would have a Bible verse he could point to and say, I was a servant leader. But we, we would see the absurdity of that. No, he's, that's a poor leader. He's not leading health and nutrition what's best for his family. He's giving them what they want. He's caving to their demand. Is that leadership? No. So it creates this problem. Now, the example is ridiculous, but it highlights how this can become, it, it can become more of a subtle way for us to lead in ungodly ways because we're not, we're not fully following what Jesus is talking about here. It highlights the need to define our terms carefully. So the term servant leadership, that terminology technically is correct. We see it right here. Technically, servant leadership is correct. But how is it used? Often, the way that the term is used causes confusion. Because in my experience, the word servant is often used to empty out leadership of authority. It's meant to say, the best way to lead is for you to act like a child, lead like a child, which is to lead without wisdom, without authority, and for you to just follow what people want you to do, just follow their desires. So in a way, a servant leader, in this sense that I'm talking about it, they become like a politician, where the leader's job is to serve a constituency that is demanding things. And then the the politician, it's like, well, I, I represent my constituency. He's not leading them. He's, he's using them as a weather vane to determine what do they want and then giving them what they want. That's not leadership. That, is, that inverts leadership. So the, what happens is it, when we think of servant leadership in this sense, it effectively inverts the authority structure. 
to where the leader becomes subservient to the people that he's leading. So he's no longer leading them. He is following them. They are placing the demands, and he's thinking that when I follow what they demand of me, then I'm actually leading them. That's not what Jesus is telling us to do here. As the dad giving his kids cake and ice cream, cake and ice cream leadership is not true leadership. That's, he's not doing what's in their best interest. So the authority structure is inverted, and whenever that is the mindset, the leader himself is not allowed to lead without permission from the constituents. So it, it empties out the leadership part, and the servant part becomes sort of a demand that can be placed on him by those he is serving, those who he is leading. They could say, you're not serving us. You're not being a servant leader because you're not doing what we want you to do. And so leadership then can easily become, it's, it's a subtle thing. It, 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 nobody would say it out loud, but this happens. I assure you, this happens. To where the expectation placed upon the leader is that he is, his job is to meet the demands of those that he is leading. But that empties his ability to truly lead. He, he ends up giving away his authority. So if he leads without permission, then he would be open to the accusation of being a tyrant. And tyrants are never servant leaders. Ultimately, this dishonors God. It dishonors God because it subverts his design for the way authority is supposed to work. Doing so with words that sound biblical. I'll tell you a story. In my ministry, I've had to learn this lesson. And so for a long time, um, this is something that uh, I've, I've missed. And it's because God called me to be a leader in this church. I planted this church. And I want to be a humble man. I want, to, I want to do what the Bible tells me to do. And so I've missed this part because I've confused the servant part with the leader part. And I inverted them. And I led out of that mindset. So wanting to be a servant leader, I would read texts like this. And it seems as though humility and authority are enemies. As though if you exercise authority, if you tell people, this is what we're going to do, that doesn't sound very humble. A humble man is uncertain. A humble man says, I don't know what to do. What do you want to do? Hmm, that sounds great. Let's do that. And people think, wow, what a humble leader. That sounds humble, right? I mean, we kind of define humility by uncertainty, by not knowing what to do, but being willing to do what other people tell him to do because he's listened. But that's not the same as leadership. So what happened um, for me is like I wanted to be a humble servant leader, and I wanted, and I see in Scripture, that means being more childlike. And that would lead, I mean, it's not all or nothing. I mean, at times, there would be a way where, times when I would act as though I didn't have authority. And I felt like I wasn't really authorized to lead, like I shouldn't lead. I shouldn't be decisive. I could only act upon the permission of those I was leading. And I was thinking that's the servant leader way to go. Um, but I, because of just problems that that created, I sought counsel from another pastor in another church uh, that he was very helpful to me. Um, and what he said was, Michael, you need to stop giving away all your authority. I had never even considered that. I never even thought of it because I, 
I didn't realize that I was giving away authority. I didn't think of it that way. And he was telling me, he said, you bear all the responsibility because you hold the official title and office of the leader. But you've outsourced the authority and to where you're not leading with authority. You're not leading according to what is actually best because you've inverted who, you know, the, the leader and, the, and the, the people that he's leading. So I, uh, I wanted to change, but change wasn't easy. In fact, it had, I had unknowingly created an expectation that my leadership would cave to the demands of what everybody else wanted. And that's a miserable way to lead because you've got all the responsibility and you have none of the authority. So leaders, by what Jesus, how Jesus is defining it here, leaders are supposed to serve us. We're think, I misspoke. The way, that, the way that I'm describing here is that we think of leadership as we're, the leaders are supposed to serve us by doing what we want. That's the way we think of it. And we call that humble leadership. And what my pastor friend helped me to see is that true Christian leadership begins with a fear of God. God being the origin of authority. God being the one to whom I will give an account. Of course, there's, there's human accountability in an organizational structure. That's good. You know, that, I'm, I'm not against that. But the ultimate accountability is to God. And you see that all through Scripture. We must obey God rather than man. This idea of servant leadership that I'm critiquing here leads as though I must obey man because that's what servant leadership is. I'm serving man. And by serving man, I'm doing what man says. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. And whenever men lead in the fear of God, whenever they think God is my authority and I am accountable ultimately to him, that is what my leadership is about. And I'm not leading in the fear of man. What will people think? People will think of that. They'll see that as that's arrogant. It will feel like pride to them. It will feel like tyranny at times if he makes a decision that goes against the wishes of a number of people. So this pastor friend helped me to grow as a leader. He helped me to become a better leader because he helped to take the authority that I had wrongly placed within just what everybody wanted and place it where it belongs, which is in God. I mean, he told me this very directly. I said, Michael, the fear of God, that's where it begins. And you see this in Proverbs especially, but you see this in Ecclesiastes, Psalms, and a number of places. The fear of God, that's where it begins. God is the ultimate authority. True leadership begins with God as the giver of authority. And then the true leader leads because he is authorized by God to do so. And his leadership is a reflection of that priority. So God is the reference point. So then, if all authority comes from God, then the leader is accountable to serve God's agenda first. God gives the leader authority to serve others. So this is how that becomes a service. It is a service because what I, the thing that I am serving people with as a leader and the thing that you are serving people with that you lead you're serving them with an agenda that came from God and you're serving them by leading them to follow that agenda. That is the service. The service is not doing whatever the whims of the people want. 
The service is leading people to do what God would have you lead them to do. That's the difference. So that authority to lead, you're leading them to live and to act according to God's agenda, leading them to prioritize God first. And as the leader, that means you are responsible for for that outcome, or not that outcome, you're responsible for that being the thing that you're aiming at. Does that make sense? You see the difference? You're saying, you're not setting the agenda, I'm not setting the agenda, because that makes you God, or that makes me God. That's what Gentiles do. Gentiles exercise lordship over people. They do things to make life easier for themselves. They do things according to their own agenda, but not so with you. With you, you lead by serving people, And you serve people by leading them to follow God's agenda. You lead them to fear God. So what leaders do is they set priorities. They make decisions. They they, uh, lead on behalf of others and they serve them by saying, here's what God would require of us. And I want to lead you to fulfill that. And I want to go first because I want to lead by example. This is true of every Christian in every position of authority. Husbands, fathers, mothers, teachers, government officials, wherever you are as a Christian, and whatever degree or level of authority that God has given to you, that is what you're accountable to. To serve others by leading them to follow God's agenda. So Gentile leadership, it's about them. It's about advancing their agenda, doing what they want, and... We serve an agenda that's bigger than that. The goal, the, the object of Christian leadership is outside of ourselves. So Gentile leaders, like the leader himself becomes the object. It's like, I'm leading you to do what I want you to do because I want you to do it. Christian leadership is the object is outside of me and it's outside of you. It is oriented towards God. And I'm going to lead you in a way that honors him because he sets the agenda. I'm not going to lead you according to your agenda. I'm not going to lead you according to my personal agenda. I'm going to lead you towards God's agenda. And, I'm going to, and that's my service to you. Now, that, that, if that seems unfamiliar, just think about what, what would our nation be like if we had leaders like that? If every leader in public office, every father in every home, every mother in every home, every husband thought, I'm going to lead according to God's agenda. I want to put God's agenda first and the people that God has placed under me. I've got the fear of God that I'm accountable to God for these people and my decisions are consequential for them. So I'm going to make darn sure that the decisions I make are for their best interest as defined by God's word. That's the kind of leadership that we need. That's the kind of leadership that that is honoring to God. Christian leadership is about advancing God's agenda and serving people by leading them to follow it. Jesus does not deny the fact that leaders lead. He's telling them how to lead. So, a couple practical points here. As I said before, just about everybody, at at some point in your life, everybody's going to lead in some way, great or small. uh, We all have, at different times, ways that we'll be leading. So, I want to apply it uh, to the home, which is, probably the one that covers the greatest number of us. So two points. I will speak to the husbands, and then I want to speak to the parents. Husbands, if you're married, you have an authority given to you by God. Ephesians 5, you are the head of your home. And that means that there's an accountability to lead your home according to God's agenda, not yours. 
not hers, God's agenda. So there's a responsibility to, you're going to have to make some real life decisions for the practical needs of your home and say, what does God want us to do with our budget? What does God want us to do with our time? What does God want us to do um, in, with our vacation plans? What is, what is God's agenda for our life? And husband, you and your wife are both part of it. You're both accountable for your own sin. Husband, you are responsible to lead it. That doesn't mean you have to be smarter. doesn't mean you have to be godlier. just means that you're responsible to see it through. That's your responsibility. So you, you lead your family in prayer. Lead your wife. It's like you're the one who is setting the tone. You're, lead your family in prayer. Lead your, lead your family in the way you manage money. My goodness, go to Steve Freeburn's class. I, I was the first signed up for it, and I told the kids, hey, kids, we're going. Because I want to go listen to instruction about how do we teach or how do we steward our finances well. And I know Steve has got resources and skill that I don't have. And he can not only teach me, but he can teach my family. And I want, all my, I want my kids to be exposed to it. Take your family to that. Bring your kids to that. Um, lead your family in the way that you provide for them. You're the provider of your home. Lead your family in your involvement in church. Like, we're going to be here. And that's where I embarrass Franklin again. He's got a baby at home that's six days old, and he's here worshiping with his children. Praise God for that. That is the leadership I'm talking about. Franklin's not the charismatic guy that's going to be like, come, lead, come follow me, everybody. Come follow my charismatic leadership. No, no, he's doing what God requires of him. That's husbands, you got to lead that way. You are responsible for that. I knew a guy uh, once, he, he would come to church like once a month. And I would just, I would think, oh, he's probably out of town. He'd probably be working, whatever. But it was just like months would go by, and I would hardly see the guy. And I was good friends with him, so I just called him up. And I'm like, bro, where you been? You're a flake. I haven't seen you in a while. Where are you? Why aren't you coming around? And he's like, oh, man, we're all good. Uh, you know, my wife, she worked long day yesterday, and she's kind of tired. So um, just, you know, lately I've just been staying home on Sunday to serve her. Do you see what I'm saying? In his mind, he is being a servant leader. I said, bro, you're failing her. You're not leading her. You're misleading her. Lead your homes. Um, All right, for parents. Let's talk about parents. Dads, moms, if you've got children, you are the leader of your children. And you need to serve them. Now, what do I mean by serving them? I'm not talking about cake and ice cream for dinner. I'm talking about you have a God-given authority, and there's a Bible verse that God gives to them to honor their father and mother. So you have a duty to lead your children. How are you going to lead them? Ultimately, as I just said, husband, you need to take the lead on leading your wife to both of you lead your family. But you have to, both of you have a part in this. Some parents, I have, in my observation, they fail to lead their children by abdicating their authority. They just don't use it. They don't correct because it's uncomfortable to correct a child, to discipline a child. They're going to resist it. They're going to fight you on it. And life is easier, at least for a time, 
it seems, to just let your kids do what they want. And depending on how stubborn and hard-headed and strong-willed your child is, to correct the child, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So if you might get this servant leadership idea sideways in your mind and you miss the point, you're going to think, well, I'm serving them by making sure they have a good time. I'm serving them by, you know, entertaining them all the time. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not leading them according to God's agenda. You've got an instruction manual. You've got an agenda that is laid out for you. And if you want somebody to break it down, I'll be happy to talk with you afterwards. And I'm sure there are Eric and Wade and anybody else, Alex, could, could help break it down further. But, I've, but it is a common thing for parents to not have authority over their own homes. They have kids that are out of control. And that is your duty, your responsibility to, to exercise authority and lead them, serve them by leading them to follow God's agenda. That means as the leader, you're going to enforce the commands of God that will be implemented in your home. It's not easy. And of course, there's lots of grace for our failures. As a father, I have many. But we don't adjust the standard to our level of obedience. We say, God, give me grace and help me. I need your help, God. I'm tired. God, I'm so tired of conflict with this child, <laughs> whatever it is. We believe the grace of God, but we obey what God has called us to do. Some parents might feel guilty for disciplining their kids because they're so conditioned that an exercise of authority is a bad thing. They see they're suspicious of authority even in themselves. And so whenever they lay down the law and they say, no, I'm going to impose pain or discomfort in your life because you disobeyed, that, that they might know cognitively that's the right thing to do, but it feels like wrong. It might even feel like this is abusive. And I'm like, there is abuse. There is abuse, but telling your child what to do and making them mind you, that's not abuse. You are, as the parent, the conduit through which they will learn the authority of God. If they don't learn it from mom and dad, it's going to be a lot harder to learn it later in life whenever they're out on their own and they need to submit to God's authority and they need to submit to other authorities in society. The training ground for this is at home. So parents, just let me encourage you. Yes, there's grace. We all feel like failures as parents. <laughs> I don't, if any parent feels like they're just nailing it, they're probably, their child isn't born yet. <laughs> so there's, there's lots of grace, but, but really take that seriously. Do the hard work when the kids are little. Make them mind you. Tell them what you expect. Enforce it. Discipline them if they don't. And that will pay dividends down the road. God gave you authority to establish and maintain order in your home. And if you don't, nobody else will. It's you. And that's a good thing. That's a service to your children. And even if they're crying and whining and tantrumy in the moment, it'll pay dividends down the road. I've got four kids. We paid the price early with some of our discipline. We didn't get it perfect. We got a lot wrong. But I enjoy my kids now that they're teenagers. Today's Isaiah's birthday. Happy birthday, 17, for Isaiah. <laughs> but that's, that's the fruit of labor. And the time will evaporate. <laughs> it goes by very fast. All right. Jesus 
He showed us how to do this. He was the perfect leader. He never gave up his authority. He served, but he served in his leadership. He served in the exercise of his authority. And he served us by leading us to follow God's agenda. Jesus is not Santa Claus. He's not a genie in a bottle. says, what do you want? Great, I'll use my authority to serve you and give you what you want. No, he says, here's my agenda. I expect you to get on board with my agenda. And that is his service to us. He serves us by leading us. And even in his death, he never stopped leading, right? His life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down because he said to Pilate, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Even in his death, he was leading. He was exercising authority. And that's what it means for us as human beings to lead. No matter the particular leadership role you're in, we follow Jesus' example. We serve others by leading them to follow God's agenda. All right, let's pray. We thank you, Lord for leading the way, for teaching us on this. And Lord, this, is, this can be kind of murky as we, we try to understand and impact the concept of servant leadership. And we ask you, God, that you will help us to obey your word, obey what you're calling us to do so that we can lead well. It's so important that Christians lead well. We are the light of the world. We're a city on a hill. And the way that we demonstrate those things includes the way we lead in the various places that you've called us to lead. So help us to discern how to do that well and give us the strength by your spirit through faith to lead according to your agenda. We thank you, Jesus, that you had authority to lay down your life and you led by laying down your life and you led by rising again. And so lead us now as we come to your table. Lead us in repentance and faith. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.